0: What are the key action steps you would say somebody should take if they're thinking of launching a membership site like yours?
1: So I think start at the very beginning. So that makes me want to like burst into song with like (laughs) Julie Andrews, you know, start at the very beginning. (laughs) Hey, this is Ryan Levesque here from AskMethod.com. And you're listening to my friend, Ash Roy, on the Productive Insights Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and
1: scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com.
0: Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello and welcome back to part two of this two-part case study with Julie McDonald. The first part was published on ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 163 and part two, this second part is accessible at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 164. You can also access all our previous podcast episodes on our YouTube channel by heading over to YouTube.com forward slash Productive Insights. In the first part of this case study, which if you haven't listened to, I recommend you go back and listen to that, Julie and I talk about the problem that she set out to solve and how that led to the idea of creating her recurring income membership site called the In this second part, we dig a little bit deeper into the various tools she used. We specifically talk about the ask method as discussed by Ryan Levesque. We talk about Facebook groups and specific action steps that Julie recommends if you are looking to start a membership site yourself. Now, just a couple of points I'd like to make. There are some references to the Facebook algorithm having just been released, and this may sound a bit dated, given that I'm publishing this episode in July, 2018. The recording was actually done back in late January or early February 2018. So at the time we made this recording, these Facebook changes were quite current. We have had a bit of a slowdown in production on our podcast episodes. So we've been dripping them out a little bit slower than usual of late because we've been actually working on some really great improvements on the ProductiveInsights.com main website. And so I highly recommend you go and check it out and you'll see that it's a lot more user-friendly. We've put a new face on the website and I think you'll find it a lot more interactive and customized to your needs. So in case you're wondering why we're talking about these Facebook algorithms that have just been released, just know that we recorded it about four months ago. So let's pick up the conversation where we left things off at the end of part one, which is the part where we're talking about Facebook groups. And how Jill Stanton used Facebook groups as an on-ramp into her membership site. There's a great episode I actually did with uh, Jill Stanton from Screw the 9 to 5 in episode 119. And we talked about how she actually used a Facebook group to launch her membership community. That's definitely something I would recommend you guys go and check out if you haven't. And Ash, I just
1: want to... I just want to interrupt you there really quickly and say that, you know, I think that episode would be a really good one for people to listen to because to some degree you could argue that I approached my own project a little bit arse about face Um, because, you know, Jill set up her Facebook group and had all of those discussions first. Mm -hmm. Um, My way to doing that was through the Daily Juggle, which was – to some degree, my filter on the problem. But it is such a good idea because, as you say, it's such a low barrier to entry. You can start having conversations with people. The only thing that I think stopped me from doing that was that I knew that my audience are so time poor that actually – they don't have a huge amount of time for discussion. And so I realized that I already had to have some things ready that solve their problem right now. And that that was how I was going to get them to start the discussion. And that I would have to have that first. But I think if you're in an area where changing career you know ditching the nine-to-five you know people have to do an awful lot of back and forth in that before they can take the first steps and that's a great source of marketplace to start with low barrier to entry Facebook group because you can start those discussions figure out what the problems are and then build your products whereas for me I just knew that my members were going to need something up front that they could get their teeth into before the discussion would start so it's really valuable to think about which order will work. Best for your audience and the problem they're trying to solve.
0: Sure, that's a great point. And while we're on the topic, I just wanted to also mention there are a few other episodes which will give you alternative perspectives. On building a community or a membership site or a recurring income business. And the episodes you want to check out, episode two with James Schramco, who introduced me to the idea of recurring income businesses. He's not very passionate about Facebook groups, but that is another perspective. And he has a great perspective on the forum based membership sites, which he actually runs at the moment. And I'm a member of and I think is great. Episode 63 with Shane and Jocelyn Sams. And they talked about how they built their recurring income business. they too have worked with James Ramco, And then episode 79 with Jared Robinson, who talked about crowd thinking and he, how he used crowd thinking to launch his membership. And then episode 43 with Robbie Baxter, who's the author of The Membership Economy. She's trained in Harvard and Stanford, and she's got a lot of academic rigor around that as well. That will be a definitely a good few episodes to add to your podcast list if you want to learn more about memberships and recurring income models. Coming back to this list, you've said the words, get me to done. How have I really helped you? Because I was trying to build a better understanding of where I can add value to my audience and what I'm doing right so I can do more of it. And you said, you just got me to done. And I think that might have been in the previous episode, if I'm not mistaken, when we recorded an episode 128. You mentioned that you felt this mind map, this process, getting to know what you don't know, the obstacle removal, all of that culminated in getting you to done and this beautiful product that I had the pleasure of looking at just a few days ago when we last spoke, which is theawesomeopair.com. Could you talk to us about that and how you finished on that beautiful high note?
1: So again, I think when you finish on a beautiful high note, what nobody ever sees is the you know they see the swan gliding, they never see yes. the feet flapping.
0: Right, right. And uh, <laughs> there's
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of feet flapping, and I I'm not in any doubt there'll be a lot of feet flapping to come because, as you know, Ash, the awesome old pair for me is just the start of a community building exercise. It's a new story, And yeah. what I'm actually looking to do is to build a, a digital um, care agency. So that is my next big project, and this is just the very kind of narrowest
0: first step. And that idea but, was um, born out of this doing. Another really important point, I just wanted to touch on how this process As painful as it has been, it has led to a transformation within you as much as it has led to a result, and that transformation is what brought this idea of this platform that you're looking to create.
1: I think, what, you know, there have been times in this process where I've thought to myself, you know, if I could wake up tomorrow and just have a beautiful website and it all works and somebody had built me 10 automation sequences and I knew that the copy was watertight, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, no, is the answer to that, because there is no substitute for talking to the people whose problem you are trying to solve and that's what I've spent the last two years doing and I have fallen in love with the problem how can I continue to solve it for you how can I take another stress off your plate that's what I wake up every day and I eat it for breakfast dinner and lunch and because of that I think my initial idea then grew into an even more scalable business idea, which we are now talking to um, seed funders about. And that came just through doing. So, my advice to anyone is you know keep talking to the people who have the problem and listen to what they're saying to you, and then try to see how far you can go in solving it. The reason that the dot com and members at the dot com is just the first step is that we can't completely solve the problem because we don't provide all peers; we're not an agency, so you know people would come to me and they'd say. You know, my testers, they'd say, I've read your book. It's amazing. Can you find me an au pair? Yeah. Well, you know, we don't do not do that bit yet. So I realized that what we've actually done, I think, quite cleverly is we've provided part of the solution. The next part of the solution will come over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months when we build the next bit, um, which is step two.
0: But it's um, almost like solving so this first level need has uncovered a deeper level need, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. When I decided to write the book how to find an awesome pair. Uh, to some degree, I, I think I did think it would be qu- quite a narrow journey. But I decided that what I would do was talk to 50 families around the world who I managed to find through Facebook, through talking to colleagues, you know, who'd said, oh, I've got a great person for you to talk to. And the idea was looking at... What makes the most successful childcare hosting families around the world successful? Like, what are they doing? Are they doing things in common? Do they have a process? Do they have a system? And so, obviously, I did all of those in-depth interviews, um, and these guys had managed over 300 au pairs. So that's a lot of information. And then I realised, yeah, they do have a system. And that's brilliant because it matches my system. And yeah. in fact, now what I've done is I've built that system and you can actually buy it. So you can forget all the mistake making, you can just buy it. You can buy yeah. the documents, you can even see the adverts I use, the emails that I send to people, You know, and it's all getting other people to done. Mm. In doing that research for the book, I was able to knead down you know, on the problem and get really into the nitty gritty. In terms of actually building the site, I absolutely know I could have achieved this much earlier with landing pages I could have taken a much simpler route to writing the book Mm -hmm. to some degree because I am already a journalist and I have a very very titchy tiny amount of public profile that route wasn't as available to me as perhaps it would be to another person who's not in that game because I wanted everything I do to be incredibly thoroughly researched Um, I wanted the website to look and feel you know fantastic landing Mm. pages are absolutely brilliant Mm. and i would advise people who are you know just starting out definitely go that way it's a great way to test your community but for me i knew that going for the kind of long haul up front was what suits me my brand my personal life and my career and you can't build a recurring membership
0: on a landing site anyway
1: I think so, the sorts of things you can do is, if you know, if you think you can solve a problem for people, you know, I, I had that book sitting there for seven months and it's only going out to people now because that's the best process for me personally. But you could do that and you could start selling that book and you could bolt on on your um, Facebook group, start to get into the the problem and then continue to build your content while that small amount of income and all of that information is coming into you. That's more than possible for people to do. I just didn't do that because it didn't suit my end game. In terms of actually building the website and thinking about what I wanted it to look at, I'll be totally honest with you. I, I love james shramko and i love his mode of operation if you go to the front of his website you'll notice well over the past couple of years it's really changed it used to be quite text heavy and now it's Mm. quite plain on the front and there is a simple picture of james a a quote about what he's all about and then there are essentially three routes that you can take to get to know james and it's called perceived segmentation so that when a person comes along to to your And they can decide, that's me, that's me, that's me, or that's me. And then when they press on it, it takes them down a perceived route that's personal to solving their problem. It's very clever. If you looked at all the pages next to one another, you'd probably find that they're not that different. But for the person coming to the site, they feel that you personally understand their tiny niche of a problem. So I decided I wanted to do that. Um I knew that I wanted the site to look pretty feminine again because most of my customers are women. Mm. That I wanted it to ha- to be to have lots of texture to be really modern. And so I was able to give a lot of direction to to my web builders and when it came back to me I'd also given them kind of a mood board of other sites that I liked. Um it was pretty much bang on. You know, I remember looking at it on holiday and thinking, wow, that's exactly what I wanted them to build. And it can be difficult if you're not a person who is particularly pictorial. So what I would Mm. say is look at other sites that you like using and basically say, can you kind of make it a bit more like this with a picture of me here or whatever it is you want to do, but give other people the context because Mm -hmm. then they'll be able to bring their ideas to your context and together you'll get something that's much closer to what you want with the membership site. It was actually the ideas didn't really come to me until I started building it. Mm -hmm. So I knew that when people came into the membership site, I wanted it to be very, very, very simple. That they would literally have to click on their plan and that within their dashboard page, there wouldn't really be any text. It would almost be pictorial representations of where they were going. So I have a great graphic designer and I asked her to make a whole suite of graphics for me that matched, that are simple to click on and that would just make life really easy for people. When you get to the point of the full works plan there is a bit more text on the screen but again only where necessary and i did that because i didn't want to overwhelm people before they got to the doing bit Mm -hmm. because this is something that we know is very prevalent in kind of web use psychology is that if you give too much text people go oh i won't be able to do that and then they don't watch the video Mm -hmm. whereas if you just put two lines they'll probably press play yeah so again think about that in the way that you're presenting your content and the mm. images quite often and a title will work better for you and mm. for your audience than a whole load of text because they're just going to get all up in their heads and think I can't do this I can't do this and start yeah. freaking out which is good the point. opposite of what you want
0: that's a good point point. and coming back to your comments about james Framco's site which is superfastbusiness.com i want to give him a shout out because he's helped me so much along my journey he's incorporated some of the principles from the ask method as shared by ryan Levesque, who i actually interviewed in episode 26 and you can access that episode and the show notes by going to productiveinsights.com forward slash ryan hyphen l-e-v-e-s-q-u-e, L-E-V-E-S-Q-U-E. I actually have interviewed Ryan again, and he shared some fantastic insights in that episode. That's where I believe James got a lot of the idea of this perceived segmentation from. And James, by the way, did mentor Ryan quite a bit, also was smart enough to take some leaves out of Ryan's book. The book is called Ask.
1: I think it's very important to say as well that the Ask method works because the web can seem really, really impersonal, and I think it works because when you go onto a site, you're looking for you. Yes. In the problem solving, and if there are three or four examples, you sort of feel like, yeah, they're they're going to be able to solve my problem in the way I need it solved. Yeah. And it's such a simple little tweak to a homepage on a website, um that it's possible for everybody to do it um th- the way that mine works is that there are four options and they each say, you know, is this you, is this you, is this you? And there's there's like a little icon and just one sentence. And when you click on it, it then goes to a page where the next step is storytelling. And that is hugely important because we are primarily wired to accept storytelling um, as a way to validate our problems. Yes. And so uh, the only difference really with the next page is that my uh, potential, clients are sent to is that there is a different story and mm-hmm. um, that matches where they're likely to be on their journey yeah. and then from there I make suggestions which are also slightly different as to which of our memberships might suit them to solve where they are in the in the problem journey and so yeah I think I think the ask method I think the perceived segmentation is just absolutely brilliant because it's helping to personalize The web in terms of of problem solving.
0: And it's the ultimate way to engage a person, isn't it? Because to some degree, I guess, we are all narcissists. And well, narcissist is probably a strong word. But let's face it, we're all in the market to solve a problem we are facing. And so when we are asked a question, is this you or is this you or is this you, it immediately puts us into the position of being in control in being the decision maker. And I've always believed, and again, credit to James Schramko, I learned this from him, being a good salesperson is not about making a sale. It's about facilitating a purchase. And he introduced me to the idea of spin selling, which I recorded an episode about as well earlier in the podcast. And that really has helped me transform my approach to sales. Whenever I'm in a mindset where I think, oh, I've got to make a sale, I know it's not going to go well. So I try and don't think in terms of making a sale as much as facilitating a purchase. And the ask method enables you to do that. You're asking the person, is this your problem or is this your problem or is this your problem? Which one sounds like you? You pick, you choose and you click on this. Okay, now... Is this your problem? Is this the next level of your problem? Or is this the next level of your problem? You choose. And so that person is in control and they're far more likely to make a happy purchase than feel they're being sold to.
1: Absolutely. And there's an even more intricate example actually out there. There's a chap called Ben Angel. Mm-hmm. And what he does is Facebook messaging. Because, you know, email open rates, you know, continue to slide in the downward direction, as we know. His innovation was all about, well, you know, how, how do we get people's attention where they are? Mm-hmm. And let's face it, lots of people, as you pointed out, Asher, on Facebook. Two billion. So what he does um, very cleverly is introduces an article or you know an image with a very you know small amount of text and then says you know comment on this and what then once the communication about whatever that image is on facebook has reached a certain point it then says you know if you want to find more about how to solve this problem then you know we will we'll send you a message on facebook messenger and then the messages on Facebook Messenger ask you to segment yourself according to your problem so that then all the messages that you receive after that to your Facebook Messenger, so you're less likely to ignore them, are about solving your particular problem. So it feels much less annoying to be having that communication. And it feels like whatever value is going to be delivered is going to be delivered based on exactly your problem. It's very, very clever. I haven't looked at at, ads saying, Adding it on yet, but I do think it's something worth bearing in mind for people. It's called Ben Angel.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I want to also mention that in the very recent past, Zuckerberg has come out and said that he's going to be revisiting the algorithm and it's going to change quite a bit. My understanding was that it's going to deprioritize business based content in people's feeds and emphasize human interactions. So I don't know where the Ben Angel approach will fit in this new world, but it's definitely worth considering in light of the fact that Facebook is about to change their algorithms quite drastically. The change has already been happening, just like Google, they kind of soft roll it out. But I think that Zuckerberg has decided pretty much that it's gonna be very much prioritizing human content it's going to mean that if you want your business to get seen on Facebook, you're going to have to pay for it all the more now.
1: I think the other thing it means too is you're going to have to be deeply involved with your subject in Facebook in a personal yes. way so that it's less you the front of a business and more you as a person.
0: Yes. And having
1: those exchanges, you know, you there are a couple of parent blogger. Standout examples here in the UK One's called the Unmumsy Mum But everybody who signs up to her page Is her friend So in a way, she's slightly under the business radar, although it is a business because she publishes books. But, um, you know, she'll have like tens of thousands of friends on Facebook. And the content that they're trading with one another is actually deeply personal. So I wonder, you know, is Facebook going to think that that's a different sort of business because there is a huge amount of human personal interaction? Maybe. I don't know. But it's perhaps worth thinking about that the days of a kind of cold, hard business interface are going to be less successful. Successful on Facebook there's going to need to be more of that human element.
0: Well to some extent I think the world generally appears to be moving in that direction. The Coca-Cola brand or the IBM brand I think got first challenged with that Apple 1984 ad and Apple always and still claims to be the largest startup in the world. Actually, something that I just got reminded of when you were talking about that was, first of all, when we spoke in our last conversation in episode 128, you talked quite a lot about that, which I really like, that fact that brands are not just these large corporate logos anymore. It's about being human. And you are a media coach and a media advisor. And one of the things you were saying, you were talking to the CEO of a very large corporation, just tell the truth. And if you made a mistake, fall on your sword. So that's one really good point I want to bring out. And to that extent, it appears that Facebook is moving in that direction. The other thing I want to mention is I've just been doing a whole bunch of digital marketer certifications lately, just because it's great content. And one of the things that Ryan Dice says, which I quite liked, was he says, you know, people talk in terms of B2B as in business to business or B2C as in business to consumer, but he sees it as h to h which is human to human and i think that's what <laughs> yeah. it seems to be coalescing around these days because we are all becoming personal brands and i guess facebook has been spearheading that to some significant degree now there's two billion people on facebook and if facebook is saying that it's about human interaction then a whole lot of brands that are trying to peddle their wares on facebook as brands are going to have to rethink their strategy they will Absolutely. still get paid advertising. So there's still that channel and Facebook <laughs> will still make their money.
1: Of course. Yeah, the, you know, it's humans are human. That's a great way to put it H to H. And that will always sing. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I tend to click on those things that seem incredibly human. Yeah. However, If I was going to hire, you know, a plumber or an electrician, maybe I wouldn't be so bothered about the human to human. Maybe I just want to know that, you know, my house isn't going to blow up once they've finished. So I guess it's not going to be the same in every single segment, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens for sure.
0: So let's bring it back to your website. Maybe you can tie it in a nice, neat little bow for us. You've created this beautiful website. And while you've finished launching the awesome app, this is just the beginning because now we are the next stage, which is all about community building, which by the way, is something I'm working on one of the certifications at the moment. So we can talk about that later on. It really is about building a thriving community, a community that wants to support each other, a community that reaches out to each other. And to some degree, they create the content and you become the steward of that community and you've got to perform that role in a very responsible and fair way while still bringing value and interest and entertainment. So that's the the new journey you're going to embark on. And then there's the other journey about the platform that you're looking at the seed funding, which is super exciting as well. What are the key action steps you would say somebody should take if they're thinking of launching a membership site like yours?
1: So I think start at the very beginning, so that makes me want to, like, burst into song with, like, Julie Andrews, you know, start at the very beginning. But, yeah, start at the very beginning. It's coming down to what's the problem you're trying to solve and is building a membership community one of the correct accessories to help somebody to solve that problem because the answer may be that it isn't again you have to think about who your potential customer is and what they have time for one of the interesting things that you just said about a community is that you know it kind of has to feed itself Mm -hmm. in a sense with interaction and engagement but one thing that i know very very well having studied lots of parent sites over the years they don't really have time for that so one of the things i made a big point of on my site was saying you can have as little or as much interaction with us as you want right so i am quite prepared that in the beginning of my facebook group that i am probably going to be putting out a lot of things that might be consumed but may not be interacted with in public it will be interesting to see how that goes but it's something that i am you know prepared for um so start at the very beginning figure out Who is your potential customer? What is their problem? And how is your membership community going to help them solve that problem?
0: Or is it not? Then I think what you have to imagine,
1: or is it? Yeah. If the answer is that it is, how is it going to help them to solve that problem? Then what I would do is I would write down four particular customer journeys. So within your customers, they're not all coming to the problem from the same angle, from the same place at the same time. So write down four examples. Why four? Because it's good. It's a good amount. You know, you'd be able to see the contrast in between them. So is that like four avatars
0: or is that four... No, so
1: within your avatar so what's the problem journey within the avatar Oh, I see. so yep. in my case it's segmenting even further so that you can get to the ask methods and you can get to the personalization bit so what are the micro problems within the bigger problem people will come to my site and I don't know where on the problem journey they're at so it's quite hard for me to know specifically how to help them unless I know the answer to that so my four journeys were you know I'm a beginner, I don't know what I'm doing, help, my au pair relationships are always a freaking disaster. The next one along was, um, my relationships are okay, but I'm generally dissatisfied. And the other one is help, SOS, I'm knee deep in the SH1T, and I need to know how to get out of it. So those were the four, you know, kind of journeys that I chose. How did I choose those? because I could see from all the research that I'd done that those are the journeys that people tend to go on. I also backed that up by looking at other forums and other sites and looking at comments and things people had written before I could pretty much say that everybody who's ever hired an au pair will reach those points on their customer journey at some point. Yeah. So I had to be ready to help them with my content at those parts on their journey. So that's the next thing to say. So once you've then figured that out, you've actually got an idea of who they are where they are on their problem journey and then you know how you're going to to solve it and what's really helpful there is that when you then build the membership site rather than just dumping a whole load of stuff behind a paywall what you can actually do is further segment a person's experience so that you know if you are somebody who's at the beginner level on my website You're actually going to be advised to buy one of our lower level products. And the reason for that is that like anything, hiring and managing someone in your own home takes work and what i don't want to do is sell the the big chunky product to somebody and then find out that they don't have the commitment or the con you know confidence to carry it through and they're pointing the finger at me and saying well your content's a yeah. bit rubbish whereas actually what we do is bring them into the funnel at the starter level mm-hmm. if that appeals to them they're getting a lot of information right there but if that appeals to them they can then move on to the next level mm-hmm. but they've almost kind of pre-vetted their own ability to to get a great result if that yep. makes sense so what it helped me to do in terms of arranging the membership site was then to arrange a different dashboard for every part of the problem. And then I could direct people according to what they bought to where they are on their journey without actually knowing where they are on their journey first. Do you see what I mean? So at every point, we're kind of filtering people out. Now, I'll find out how right or wrong I got this (laughs) in the next month or two. So maybe we can update this later and we'll figure that out. Yes, I
0: would love to do that, actually.
1: So those are the steps that I took. And at the back of my mind, I just kept thinking, is a membership site the right way? If it is, how can I arrange the content that it doesn't stress people out further? And then even within that content, I went a bit further. So in my full works plan, which is every single utterance, every single brain dump, every single book, every single document, every single spreadsheet, every single friggin' recipe, it's everything in there. There's a huge amount of information. I, I, set out certain paths to success within that. So, you know, at the top of the dashboard, it gives you directions like help. I've just seen all the content. I don't know my first step. Yeah. Um, or I'm the kind of person who needs to know everything. Can you suggest a path for me? Or I just need an au pair and I need to hire one in the next three minutes. And so then I segmented them even further mm. within the content structure. Right. So it sounds like a huge amount of work. And what I can say to you is I'm kind of allergic to structure. <laughs> so I, I have done this just as I've been going along, it's been a subconscious thing. It right. hasn't been a sort of planned strategy. Yeah. But looking back on it, I can see that it's actually really, really helpful to just keep an eye on, solve the problem, but also do it in a way that it doesn't add to people's stress.
0: Mm.
1: just going to get... Totally
0: overwhelmed. It sounds to me like you are totally on the right track. I would be very interested to revisit this and see how this evolves. I'm actually also doing that with Amanda Farmer, another client of mine. We just had on episode one hundred and fifty. We revisited her podcast launch, and she's had great results. So maybe we can make this a bit of a series. You know, it'd be interesting for all of us, including you and me, to see how it evolves and what the learnings are along the way and where we end up with the seed funding project. It'll be very interesting to hear part two of this conversation. Yeah,
1: whether, you know, I'll be bankrupt or whether, you know, <laughs> I'll I'll make it all work. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but it is, that's the thing to say, you know, it is a journey. And even, yeah. you know, the likes of the Ryan Levesque and the James Shrankles and the, the Willco de Cridge. I think that's the right way to say his last with name. But a cry, You know, well, they're all incredibly inspiring people. Mm. But the reality is that every day when they go to work, they are learning, relearning, redoing, repurposing, refocusing. You know, when you run your own business, you're never truly done. You are just reworking old ideas, new ideas, and you have to be prepared to learn every day. And that was a big kind of change in mindset for me because I think sometimes you read a book or you read a guide. And again, this fed into the way I presented my content, which was there's no wrong here you know, there's no read this book and get it right absolutely every time because we are all humans. Mm. So take the information, do your best with it, pick the bits that suit you, forget the rest and get to doing. And when you do, you'll find out what works for you and you'll be able to pull in the other accessories to help you. So that mindset really helped me that there is no going completely wrong. And Part of the reason for me there is no going completely wrong was because I set myself a limit of how much of our family assets were we willing to to put into this at the kind of minimum viable product level. So I set myself a limit and I actually have spent so far much less than that. Oh, wow. So that really helped me to feel secure that yeah. I am, as it were, betting And with my hard work and my financial input on something to a level of risk that suits my family. Mm. So that's another thing to think about in, in these situations. I've met some people along the way who have great groups on Facebook who sell guides for not very much money, but they do have a recurring income every month. And some of them, it's about the recurring income. And for some of them, it's about creating a community, creating change. So another good way to help your thinking when you start out on a project like this is to really think about what your values are mm-hmm. because your values are that kind of invisible headwind that no matter what you do, they will keep pushing you in the mm-hmm. direction of your va- of, of values. So for me, it's always going to be more important to make change than to make money.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: who I am. Those are values. And there have been many a heated argument with my husband when I was approached by a publisher who wanted to pay me great money to write this book. And I said, no, I want to build a community. I want to have a a body of content that's constantly changing. I want to build, you know, a broad base for a, you know, a fantastic business. I don't want to be an author. And this was driving him bananas because he was like, dude, get the information out, get the money. Yeah. (laughs) And this was your vision. But this is the vision. These are my values. And this is what I could afford to do. And I had to go out and get other clients in the other parts of my business to be able to afford to take the time out to do this. And I appreciate not everyone's in that situation. But if you don't know what your values are, you're going to find that sometimes you attempt to do something and it doesn't work. And you don't know why, because you're thinking, oh, God, I'm, you know, putting in all the steps and, you know, why is it not working? And it's not working because you're putting your energy in the wrong place for who you are. There's a great thing called motivational mapping and it's quite common here now in the UK. They use it in lots of different corporates, big companies, the fire service and the police service. And in a way, what they're doing is they're helping to segment people in a kind of invisible way. So to give you an example, the police here in the UK, not all departments, but some, when they put an advert out for a particular position, they've taken to using specific language and specific calls to action that they know that will attract some of the right characteristics and personality that they're looking for but then they go one further and they ask people to fill in what looks like a you know simple psychometric questionnaire it's not very long but what it does is it figures out what that person's values are because what the police were finding is that they were getting all of the same personality types. Mm -hmm. But actually, sometimes they needed someone who loved sitting in the office to do the accounts or to write up the records. Mm. Now, that person tended to to want to be a member of the police. They wanted to change things, but they couldn't have that as their central value Mm. because it meant they didn't want to sit in the office and they become unhappy doing that. So they're using motivational mapping as a way to get the right people in the right jobs. And actually, it's a way to think about it for yourself. I am the right place, in the right mindset to un- you know undertake this particular project? And am I going to get the, r- the right result? And I used to feel like when I was in my 20s and I was coming up through the media and, you know, I come from a culture in Scotland where to talk about what you're good at is practically illegal. You know, we just don't <laughs> talk about ourselves in that way. And yet I'd go into these meetings with these big televisions ex- executives and I knew that I was Potentially a really great broadcaster. And I knew that I could get on with the crew and I could make really, really good telly. But I didn't seem to be able to put that across. And then years later, when I did some motivational mapping and I went to see a person on myself, I realized why. And that's because I picked all the wrong programs and projects for my right. values. Right, so I right, get right. there and I'm saying to myself, why is this not working? Why is this not chiming? Why am I not getting the job? And then I realized that actually, when I went for things that are important to me that I believe in, that chime with my values, it was like falling off a log. I
0: was right. putting my
1: energy in the right place for my values. So that sounds like a whole load of cycle babble, but look it up, motivational mapping. I'll Will Ash, do. I'll see if I can get a link for you, because I think it's so, so, so important, because it's okay. why I can work so hard on this, because it concurs with my values, it drives me.
0: Well, that's a fantastic takeaway. I'll look it up myself and see if I can find something Now, you can access all the show notes at ProductiveInsights.com. This will be published to YouTube as well. So if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the Productive Insights podcast. Just go to iTunes and type in Productive Insights podcast and it'll come up. And if you're listening on the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com forward slash Productive Insights. So thank you very much, Julie, for being on the show. And I can't wait to have you back and revisit this and see where things are maybe six to 12 months down the track.
1: Yeah, it's going to be so exciting, Ash. Thank you so much for being a huge part of my journey so far and with this business and everything that's to come. And um, thanks to everybody for listening. I hope you get something really useful out of it.
0: Well, the pleasure has been all mine. And I look forward to continuing to work with you on building this community and seeing how I can help you with getting the seed funding happening because I've got a background in finance, so I might be able to offer some things of value. As always, you can access the show notes of this episode on ProductiveInsights.com, specifically at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 164 in this instance. This case study and two-part episode was brought to you by the Productive Insights podcast launch service that positions you as an authority and helps you attract lifelong high-value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to find out how to get started. Thank you very much, Julie, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.
1: Fantastic, Ash. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?